Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here. Coming to you live, as always, from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine, with another edition of Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students. Uh, We do this program once a month, and, uh, well, we missed February. I think that was my travel schedule, but we're back on here in March, and we've got two left for this school year, April and May, before we take a break over the summer. Um, Today's a good day to call in if you feel like it. Uh, We don't usually get many calls on this program. We've got a bunch of questions lined up in the mailbag. The uh, call-in number is 646-727-2691. And um, I know that we will not have our two principals from Maine with us on today's program. They are otherwise engaged, Tom and Nina. But I think we're going to have Carol and uh, Susan with us. They just haven't called in yet. Um, So feel free to call in, 646-727-2691. But I think that uh, I'm going to get started with some email. Here we go. I'm a first-year teacher who was introduced to your website by a school system in Pennsylvania. I'm working on implementing your model with two of my most challenging students. As I'm preparing to do the three steps of Plan B, I wonder if you have any resources for potential solutions to the problems that we will ultimately uncover. It would be immensely helpful for a new teacher like myself to have some kind of a master list or database to consult when trying to find a solution not as a guide or a one-size-fits-all answer, but as a resource to look at and say, here's what 10 other teachers have tried in a situation similar to mine. Maybe I could use or modify one of their ideas. Please let me know if you know of anything like this online or in printed form. Until I have 20 years of my own experience to use, it would be great to stop reinventing the wheel all the time. Um, I know what you feel like. Unfortunately, I can't help you out. Why can't I help you out? Because when you're doing Plan B with an individual student, you are reinventing the wheel every time. Whether you have 20 years of experience or not, I hope 20 years from now, you and a student are coming up with a solution that addresses the concerns of both parties. And because we enter Plan B without a preconceived solution, and because we also enter Plan B, not having the slightest idea what the student's concern or perspective is on a particular unsolved problem, I'm afraid a um, master list or database really wouldn't help very much because the solutions are tied to the concerns of both parties. And the concerns of both parties are going to be different, even if it's the same unsolved problem. 
I am delighted that you are trying to do the model with your two most challenging students. Good for you for being brave and good for you for starting with the tough stuff. Um, but there is no database. There is no master list. There's just what you and a student of yours come up with to address the concerns that both of you have entered into consideration in the empathy step and in the define adult concerns step. I wish I could make this more algorithmic than it is, but it isn't. Now, here's the good news. What's the... Um, you do have a master plan. You don't have a master list of solutions, but you do have a master plan. Three steps. The empathy step, where you're entering and clarifying the student's concern or perspective or point of view into consideration on the unsolved problem you two are talking about proactively. The define adult concerns step, this is where you're getting your concern entered into consideration and the invitation, which is where you and the student are coming up with a solution that is that meets two criteria. It's realistic, meaning it truly and logically addresses the concerns of both parties, and it's mutually satisfactory. Excuse me, it's mutually satisfactory, meaning it truly and logically addresses the concerns of both parties, and it's realistic, meaning both parties can do what they're agreeing to do. There's your master plan. No master list, but a master plan. In other words, it really doesn't matter what the solution was on the same unsolved problem. For another student, if that student's concerns were different, then the solution that addresses those concerns will be different. But I wish you the very best of luck in your efforts with your two very challenging students. And... Um, Email back and let us know how it's going. We do have one of our principals with us. Is this Carol or Susan? This is Carol, and I apologize for being late. I had a, I was getting a, we're getting a garden club started with our students, and uh, nice. I was just outside with them checking out the space we're going to be using. Fabulous that you can be outside where you are. <laughs> it is beautiful. Yes, I won't, I won't boast about it. Sorry, <clears throat> it's awful. <laughs> I get it. Um, we ain't starting no gardens up here in Maine anytime soon. That's for sure. <laughs> no. Although we hope, I hope I see some, uh, you know, some tulips popping up. Maybe in a month, month and a half. That would cheer me up greatly. That I only have a month or a month and a half to go before I get to see tulips. Although, to tell you the truth, given how much snow is on the ground and how high it's piled up. Um, yeah. I have trouble imagining that there will be tulips popping up in four to six weeks, but who knows. Right. Well, I'm glad you're with us today. We do not have Tom or Nina, and we do not have Susan yet, and I don't know if we will. What I'm doing today is answering some email. Okay. We've got quite a few questions that have accumulated. Um, so shall we get – and I was just finishing with one. Here's another. Good? Sure. Here we go. Our school will be embarking on training in CPS soon. I have training in applied development and am also a licensed educational psychologist. 
I have worked in a turnaround school capacity the last four years and worked with the most challenging students. As a graduate student, I studied CPS at a time when PBIS was the focus. Mm-hmm. I want to be strategic in my practice and struggle with carrying the message that the work takes time. In a fast-paced setting, this is the last thing teachers want to hear. How can I build a structure around the mental health resources in our school to plant this theoretical underpinning? Um, That's basically a question about time. Mm -hmm. And um, I wonder if you might want to take the first crack at that. Mm, time and bu- and building understanding. It sounds like there's there's a need there too for kind of shifting a, a, a mindset around around challenging behavior, challenging kids. Um, well, time and structure. I think back to um, some of the advice that we've given over the years, and and I think one of the things um, is to definitely start with a small um, a small view in terms of. Um, not expecting this, and I'm sure you know if Nina and Tom have the opportunity to weigh in on another program, perhaps to even give more details. But to start small, um, you can't you can't come in school wide. I believe um, to start with, it's too it's too big, and it's um, it's quite a, a drastic change <laughs> from from a lot of practices that happen in schools. So um, I would say identifying um, a few key people who are already kind of have the mindset but haven't had the tools or the structures to support them, um, and then and 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 getting them involved in uh, you know a group book study um, or meeting weekly to discuss some of their challenging uh, behaviors that they're seeing, um, spending some time together you know watching some of the videos on the Lives in the Balance website. Um, and then setting up a time to to actually, if if this person who wrote the email is kind of seeing themselves in a coaching role of for for you know coaching some uh, school staff through the process with or without kids, um, setting up some time, dedicating some time to that to do it on a on a regular basis so that it stays fresh and doesn't get subsumed by the other tyrannies of the urgent that we encounter in our work in schools. Um, so starting small, finding a key core small team to start with, um, and and really dedicating some time for them to show that it's a that it is a priority. Um, she didn't mention, or he didn't mention in the email, whether or not, you know, what the school administration's point of view on this is, or maybe that person is the school administrator. Um, but that's that's key is getting the support either time wise um, for releasing teachers or staff to work together. Um, providing some support for time for the conversations to take place. It's it's really important. Um, I was listening to an ad on the, and I see these on TV all the time. I don't know if you have um, uh, this in Canada. I bet you do. Have you heard of Five Hour Energy? Yes. <laughs> Is it sold in yeah. Canada? Yeah. Do you know that they now do an estimated $1 billion in retail sales every year? I'm appalled, so I'm but listening I can to this. believe it. <laughs> What's that? Well, I'm, I'm appalled, it, it, but I can I believe think, it. Yeah, well, you know, what it comes to mind as we are talking about time 
because probably at no other point in human evolution have humans been so driven to get so much, to squeeze so much out of wake time during the day. Mm-hmm. We expand our wake time so that we get less sleep. Um, but we have never been more driven to be productive. And a billion dollars a year in five-hour energy sales annually tells us that we're running out of gas because five-hour energy, and of course we're not even taking account the billions upon billions of dollars of sales of other caffeinated drinks, coffee, tea, and I'm by the way I'm no I'm uh, I'm guilty, <laughs> yeah. right? Red Bull. Um, we are running out of gas, and what yeah. we do because we're running out of gas is we try to fill up with gas. So it's a fascinating pickle we've gotten ourselves into, but I find that it has bled into our schools as well. Yes. Um, to the point that we are, um, and I'm not being critical of um, this uh, at licensed educational psychologist. I know the circumstances under which she's working, but in a fast-paced setting, it could be that our number one priority needs to be to find the time to solve problems with our most vulnerable kids. Because if we don't, we're going to leave those kids in our wake. Well, and and I think it'd be, I mean, and another slightly more even, you know, selfish view of that is if we if we don't take the time to do that, then we are sabotaging ourselves because the time that it takes to repeatedly discipline, quote unquote, discipline, um, disruptions, explosive behavior. Um, rude, confrontational behavior, aggressive behavior um, in that revolving door at the office or in the classroom every single day after recess and, you know, those conversations with parents, talking till you're blue in the face, um, you're you're sabotaging yourself because you're basically, you know, you're going to be creating more work for yourself. So on a on a selfish adult level, if we don't take mm-hmm. time to do this, then we're we're spent spinning our wheels doing the same ineffective things over and over again. Great point. Now, one of the things not that, sure that the writer, yeah, sorry. I'm just going to say I'm not. I'm reasonably certain that um, five-hour energy is not going to fix that problem. <laughs> it's not going to help in a school building. I, yeah. But go ahead. What were you going to say? I was just going to say one of the things that the writer asked for some advice on is how do you um, how do you kind of placate those people who want a quick fix or, or, you know, well, we can't just give up X to start doing Y, and especially if Y is a slow process. And and I don't think anyone expects a school to dump X in order to take on Y. Um, it's just like with any any change in practice or in um, in philosophy, it's not a it's not a black and white shift that one day you're doing PBIS and the next day you're you're using CPS. Um, there are some great things about PBIS that can promote positive behavior for the 95% of kids that don't exhibit challenging behavior and the 95% of kids for whom traditional uh, types of, of rules and expectations and, and solutions to those things do work. 
so I think it's important to to maybe um, let those teachers know and reassure them that that you're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, that there still are going to be, you know, basic expectations um, and rules and and procedures in your school for maintaining order, but it's it's primarily starting with those children for whom you can clearly see that that system is not working. So to help, you know, reassure them that, that you know, they're not being asked to completely give up something in order to try something else that is a long process. I'm trying to think of an, of an analogy view, you know, um, if, if it was decided at some point that, that microwaves were ridiculously dangerous in the terms of the amount of radiation that are being given out. So, you know, if everyone was told that they had to just dump their microwaves and go back to doing everything on the stove top or in the oven, you know, <laughs> if we could find a way to just keep the microwaves for a little while longer before we had to transition back, I don't know, it's not a great analogy, but it's it's an example of going from something that seems quick and um, and convenient to something that maybe is healthier or that's going to be, you know, more beneficial for you down the road? Well, we've found that um, cars that pollute a lot or that get lousy gas mileage eventually had to be phased out in favor of ones that are cleaner and that are more efficient. We have found that uh, coal-burning power plants are ruining the world, apparently, because of global warming, and that there are alternative forms of energy that we probably ought to shift over to as quickly as possible um, so that we don't melt or just suffer from extraordinarily extreme forms of weather, um, unless you believe that the whole climate change thing is a ruse. A ruse toward what end, I've never been able to figure out, but there are people who believe that this is fake, um, doesn't appear to be fake to me, but um, nothing the matter with moving toward cleaner fuels uh, and energy sources anyhow, uh, mm-hmm. even if the whole thing is a charade, hard to imagine. Um, so, um, you know, one of the things I've been talking about on the parents program, um, and this was this first came to me in... Um, I wrote an op-ed for the New York Times that it didn't publish in response to the Pope praising a father for um, slapping his child but not doing it in the face so that the child didn't lose his dignity. And this, of course, caused many people who are not in favor of hitting kids no matter where they get hit to um, take umbrage at um, the Pope's comments. I keep saying I don't think the Pope was trying to make a major policy statement here, but mm-hmm. um, what the, the reference point that I used was the least restrictive environment in schools. Right. Yeah. Um, and the parallel to that is what I would call the least toxic response um, in discipline. Mm-hmm. The least toxic response means we should be using the form of intervention that we believe has the least risk for doing damage and choose the interventions that we think are just as effective at accomplishing the mission without the high risk for doing damage. Um, so me, you know, so now it all depends on where people draw the line. Um, and for me, clearly hitting a kid is not the least toxic response. 
But yeah. for me also, suspending a kid is not the least toxic response. Mm-hmm. Um, giving a kid a detention, now we're, now we're into interesting territory because there are those who would say that detention and suspension are necessary, but I would argue that neither of them counts as the least toxic response, especially if there are other ways of intervening that would that accomplish would the mission. Right. So, yes, 95% of kids do benefit from business as usual, or at least behave themselves in response to business as usual. Um, but I'm looking to the day not only when we apply the um, Menta- the, the, the lenses and the practices of CPS to the 5% who are not able to respond to business as usual, but to the kids who are responding to business as usual, um, I think that it would improve the time equation for them as well. There are lots of kids in everybody's building who are struggling, but who are not acting out behaviorally as the means by which they are communicating that they are struggling. Um, so there's my two cents. Right. They've got more skills and coping mechanisms that they deserve the opportunity to have their concerns heard and met as well. They do. But they're just, um, not, they're you just know, not screaming at us with their behavior. <laughs> that's correct. In the case of yeah. a child who I know very well, um, the folks at home will hear about it, but the folks at school don't even know about it. Right, right. Um, th- those kids, well, whatever. Yeah. We ready for another email? Yes. Here we go. Good afternoon. I have been a special education teacher for seven years and have worked passionately towards respectful and equitable practices for the students I support. Fantastic. My vision is near and dear to my heart, so much so that I left my past position halfway through the year to pursue a position that allowed more systemic opportunities to support change for students with emotional and behavioral needs. However, in starting over, I don't yet know the student's family or staff very well, and I'm busy trying to build rapport. My building administration is operating from a CPS framework in many ways. As I dive into this new role, I was wondering what advice you might have for me in helping teachers and families navigate this paradigm shift. I have not received any formal training in the model, so perhaps that might help my role as well, Thank you so much. What do you think? What's the first place that she should start to help get the paradigm shift rolling for the teachers and families that she's working with? Any thoughts on that? Well, absolutely. If she's able to attend a a training, a workshop, I think that's a really great, I mean, you know, I've been to three, three of your workshops and read the book several times and talk with you every month on the program and I'm always learning something new. So, you know, hearing from other people who are kind of immersed in the paradigm can definitely not only just deepen your understanding but refresh as well because, you know, you can go, you can read a book or you can uh, watch a video or you can attend a workshop and once you get back and be totally fired up and and passionate and and like, yes, I've got it and then you go back into your building and you're kind of, Reimmersed in the old paradigm, it can be hard to maintain that um, that focus. So that would be absolutely. And if they could bring a couple of you know uh, staff members and colleagues with them, even better, even better, because then you've got 
people to to bounce things off of, and you're all kind of speaking from a common language, and, and you're understanding where each other's coming from, and you have the opportunity to ask questions together and, and answer them together. So that would absolutely be my first recommendation, but if they can't do that, I would suggest um, doing some maybe uh, little lunchtime um, study sessions with videos on the website. To me, those videos, I've shown them in staff meetings, um, I've shown, I've watched them with teachers, just one on one. I've, you know, we've we've laughed over them and joked over them, especially the ones that show like what does it look like when it goes wrong? Like what happens when the kid refuses to 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 talk? You know, those the videos and stories on the website are really really beneficial in in helping everyone kind of see what you're talking about. And and then I'd say uh, pick one. <laughs> What's Tom's mantra? Solve one, or you solve none. So pick one, pick one <laughs> colleague and one student, and um, and start there. And then, you know, once they and and they will, they will start. That teacher, whoever it is, will start to see those aha moments for themselves and for the child. Um, they're going to talk about that. They're going to be in the staff room saying, you know, I cannot believe I just had this aha moment with little Susie because I thought that she was doing this just to get under my skin and oh my goodness it turns out she just doesn't like sitting on that blue chair because she thinks it's dirty you know like there's such sometimes these simple ahas that um, once they start talking about like this process actually you know makes a difference it gives you such a full picture of understanding kids and I don't think there's any educator out there who would say you know I wish I knew a little less about my kids I really don't really want to know what's going on under the surface mm-hmm. there, right? There's no one who says that. Said no teacher ever, as they say. So um, so I really feel like um, like starting small, seeing if they can do some kind of formal or informal learning together, and then choosing one colleague, one student, one problem. It'll grow. Um, I think that's fabulous. I've got nothing further to add. By the way, all those videos that Carol's talking about are in the guided tour for educators in the educator section on the Lives in the Balance website. They're now organized into three sections. Change your lenses, identify lagging skills and unsolved problems, and solve problems. And there's all kinds of streaming video and audio programming to help people out in those three areas. And the best part of it is that it's all free. Absolutely free. Shall we move on to another? I don't think we're going to get Susan today. I bet she got tied up as you know, things, <laughs> Imagine that. things get crazy in schools, but here's another. I am a guidance counselor and have a middle school student who refuses to do work in classes. He has a long history of this right from kindergarten. Sometimes he seems to be avoiding work because it is boring, and other times I think he refuses work out of the need to hide obvious areas of academic weakness. After meeting with the parent, it is clear that the father has a very low opinion of our public school and its curriculum. I can only assume that his opinion is being shared with his son and reinforcing the refusal to participate on the grounds that the work being given is not important. This student is very bright and articulate. He is failing all of his classes, and his grades will influence the courses that he will be enrolled in next year in high school. He does not seem to respond to rewards and definitely does not respond to punishment. Our school practices daily mindfulness exercises and uses restorative practice rather than traditional punishments. 
We are looking for an underlying problem to solve and a means for getting this child to work with us towards a solution. Any ideas? If you don't mind, I'm going to take first crack at this one. Okay. First of all, we're hearing that these problems are long-standing. That means they've never been solved. Mm-hmm. Long-standing problems. And so this is a kid who is going into high school next year and right from kindergarten. That means that we've got nine or ten years of unsolved problems that have piled up. And that's a lot of unsolved problems to work our way through. Yep. But I don't think we're going to work our way through them by theorizing. We need to identify very specific unsolved problems for this student. And there is a 45-minute audio program in the Guided Tour for Educators on the Lives in the Balance website in the Identify Lagging Skills and Unsolved Problems section that will help this guidance counselor figure out how to complete the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems along with his colleagues for this student. But I think we need to start theorizing as quickly as possible and start getting our information from the horse's mouth, the kid. So it may be that the kid is avoiding work because it's boring, but I'd rather hear that from the horse's mouth. It may be that he's refusing to work out of the need to hide obvious areas of academic weakness, but I'd rather hear that from the horse's mouth. And it may be that the student's father is reinforcing the refusal to participate on the grounds that the work being given is not important, but I'd rather hear that from the horse's mouth because until we do, those are all simply adult theories and hypotheses. And here's the bad news about adult (laughs) theories and hypotheses. We are often wrong. So often wrong. (laughs) But that's what the empathy step of Plan B is for. Mm -hmm. But the only other thing I'll add to that before you chime in is, given that this has been going on for nine or ten years, this school counselor, this guidance counselor, is in such an incredible position to do what none others have done before him figure out what this kid's lagging skills are, and figure out what is now probably a very large pile of unsolved problems. Mm -hmm. And so we're not looking for the magic bullet, and we're not looking for the underlying problem to solve. We are looking for the pile of unsolved problems that have accumulated over nine or ten years, and then we're going to start getting to work on two or three of them And maybe by the time this kid goes to high school, at the very least, we'll know a lot more about what's getting in his way. And with any sort of luck, we'll actually have some of the most difficult unsolved problems solved. My guidance guidance to this guidance counselor is, you got about four months. Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm sure you have some thoughts on that as well. Yeah. Well, talking about uh, the first, you know, um, one of the big thoughts that I had was, you know, the identification of the problem that he refuses to do work in any classes. That's a huge clump. And we know that, you know, digging right. into talking, you know, if they can meet with the various teachers, 
um, and not even just this year's teacher, but if they have the opportunity to speak with um, his teachers from previous years. Like, let's start with, you know, what what does he, what can he do? What has he done? Because that's such a huge generalization. It's a huge clump, as we would say, um, that that it really does uh, reinforce kind of a negative um, view of this student, a negative set of lenses on him. So, I mean, talking about a child of that age and the number of problems they're likely to start encountering if they can tease them out, sure, it can seem daunting. Like, I was just flipping through um, some of the ALSEPs that I've done with kids over the last couple of years, and I've got kids, you know, in grade one or kindergarten. I have one here from kindergarten who, you know, had at least 10 already unsolved problems because they were really... And that's why they come to us, right? That's why they need guidance counselors, and that's why they end up on the radar of the principal because they have a lot of, of unsolved problems that need work. So, you know, I I hope that they will take the time. Uh, I've got a kindergarten one in front of me here that the whole page is full, and I've got a few more that are off the edges of the chart. So um, it's going to take some time, but please don't get discouraged. Um, keep going. Listen to that, uh, if that 45-minute um audio archive can uh, can walk them through how to have that conversation in the ALSEP. I mean, I would say if, if, if they're anywhere near you, Ross, you need to go and sit with them because it sounds like it might be overwhelming. Um, or if there's a coach in their, in their area that can even um, kind of walk them through it a little bit or, or be there because I'm, I'm worried about um, a group of people who maybe don't have really any experience with the, the model of, of coming to some collaborative or proactive solutions, um, kind of sitting down and, and you know, even with, with experienced teams, like, like uh, in Susan's school or in Tom and Nina's school, there can be, um, you know, you can sometimes get lost and start um, clumping or start the storytelling rather than really just, you know, teasing apart those, those unsolved problems. So um, it's absolutely the place they need to start in, in having that meeting with the, you know, and doing an LSUP. Um I don't think it would do all that much good to to meet with the student right away and say, so you're not doing work in any of your classes. What's up? Because that's just way too broad, and it sounds kind of judgmental. So it needs to have the ALSEP and and prioritize. And at some point, you know, it's going to be important to build that relationship with the parents so that they can be a part of understanding the child and understanding, um, you know, that the school um, is working to have their this boy be successful. Shall we tackle another one? Sure. Here we go. Solving the world's problems I, one at a time. Well, we're 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 knocking them off uh, in rapid <laughs> order here. Uh, hi, Dr. Green. I am a special education teacher and somewhat of the counselor in an elementary school. I have read your book, Lost at School, and have listened to many of the radio programs on your radio show. And by the way, we will be sending you a link to let you know about this one as we do whenever we are responding to an email on the program. We'll notify you and send you a link to the program so you can listen. I was inspired by the part in the book where Mrs. Woods tries Plan B with the whole class. There is one particular class and teacher who is really struggling with her whole group, and since so many of the kids in this grade 3 class are having difficulty treating each other nicely, I thought I would give it a go to try Plan B with the whole class. I started with Mrs. X and I have noticed that the class is having difficulty treating each other nicely and have wondered 
if you've noticed the same thing. The students had a lot to say and came up with many examples related to this unsolved problem. I then moved on to asking why they thought this was happening. Again, they had many reasons why this was happening. I am now feeling stuck as I'm not quite sure which is the kids' concerns, the examples or the reasons why the concerns are happening. I'm also worried that I may have too many examples of kids not treating each other nicely, as well as many concerns, but they are now all clumped together and not well-defined. What would you suggest? Want to take that one first? Yeah, that's that's not too, too, too difficult. Um, I think what what um, they've done in sitting down with the class and saying, you know, people are treating each other not very nicely, um, that's what they've really done is kind of started to try to do the also with the whole class, if that makes sense. Like, like mm-hmm. that's a big global general statement. People are not treating each other nicely. And when the students started to list examples, to me those are kind of the unsolved problems. So if they can take that list of all the examples of of when or or yeah when and in what situations students are not treating each other nicely and prioritizing them with the students. So I would sit down with the students with that first list of these are all the examples of when people are not treating us nicely and saying, okay, do we find some here that seem to go together? And kids are great at doing this. They do categorizing and sorting activities all the time. So let's say, can we sort these into um, some things that go together? So some might be while playing games at recess. Some might be uh, during lunchtime. Some might be um, when we have to share materials. So, you, you know, the students would be able to see those, those threads and say, you know, of these now, which would you say is kind of like the biggest one or the one that if we could work on it would seem to make the biggest difference for you? And so prioritize one of those themes. And then, so ignore the second list right now, the why it's happening, because that's irrelevant at this moment. Um, mm-hmm. Take one of so let's say the student said you know during lunch that during lunch kids just there's no teacher around and and they're just letting loose with whatever's on their mind and they're being sarcastic and rude and mean um, so let's just deal with that lunch one now, so why do you think people are not why do you think that might be happening what's what's going on so people aren't treating each other nicely while they're eating lunch what's up with that and then that would be your your empathy step right there so really. I think they've got too many issues all noticed at once. Um, have the kids narrow it down to one uh, that they'd like to work on first and then redo the empathy step with the class and saying, here's our top priority unsolved problem. Um, what's up with what's up with going on here? Get some of those reasons and then going into the collaborative solutions. That's my suggestion. I love it. I'm not sure I have anything to add. <laughs> Let's I've, do I've done the group I've done the group stuff uh several times with with teachers. I've been in that situation where a teacher's just saying like, "Oh, my class is just falling apart." You know, there's just so much disrespect going on or or whatever. And sometimes with the teacher, I think it works maybe best to do that with the teacher. I I think maybe even now actually now that I'm thinking about it, maybe having the kids prioritize the biggest issue because they know best maybe when that's happening. So either way. Let's get one more in here if we can. Okay. We've got, uh, let's see here. We've got five and a half minutes left. I'm sure we can do this one justice. Uh, What's your advice on how to deal with a child when they become violent towards staff and other children? 
Do you think that the child should be removed from the school in order to keep other children safe? CPS takes time to get right. What do schools do in the meantime? Mm-hmm. Now, that's one we've talked about sometimes on this program, but um, mm-hmm. go ahead. Yeah, well, depending on their jurisdiction, I'm sure every jurisdiction has really clear policies about violence in schools. Like I know here in British Columbia, um, we ha- when especially when it's violence towards staff, we have uh, an immediate um, procedure for the staff to report the violence and to, to our workplace health and safety um, departments and for an investigator to to investigate the the incident and and come up you know and, and talk about how it could have might have been prevented. Um, we have to uh, assess the level of risk that the student presents to staff and then we need to if if it's a high enough level of risk whether it's in frequency or severity then we have a student staff safety plan that needs to be written and i think that in our case the um the the cps side of it comes into the the safety plan because that can be a big part of of understanding what's what's causing what's behind the episodes or what are some of our behaviors as adults that are perhaps exacerbating these situations what can we modify in the environment or in our interactions with the students so that those things don't happen. But I guess their big question is, should the student be removed from the school? What do they mean by that? Is it, should they be sent home for an afternoon so that everyone can have some time to kind of meet together and make a plan? Is it that they're being expelled? Are they being sent home for a week? So, you know, I've, I think, you know, all of the educators who join you on this panel would would say that it, it's really an individual situation, case-by-case basis. Because some kids, um, you know, their their behavior is being initiated by biological factors. And maybe, you know, there's something that needs to be addressed on a biological front um, through at, uh, that, that, that needs to be worked out. Um, you know, sometimes I'm thinking about things like food allergies and um, different changes in medications and, and things like that. So that might be a possibility. Um, my husband's an educational assistant and works with, um, you know, a, a num- he's worked over the years with a number of children who have a history of, of violence towards staff or students. And um, and sometimes they do need to, to spend some time at home to, I don't know, take care of some of those issues. Um, but other times, it's like you were talking about before, what is the least toxic response? So are we sending the kid home to teach them a lesson? Are we sending the kid home to send a message to them? Um, I don't know what message we're sending. Well, I know what message we're sending. We're sending the message like, you're not welcome here. Um, so, Or you're not good enough to be around us. So, you know, it's it's delicate. I know we've talked about other student safety. There's always a need for schools to balance the rights of one individual with the rights of others. Um, and we don't always strike the right balance. Mm. I don't, it's an it's an individual, contextual, case by case thing. In my opinion, I know that yours varies. Uh, not that much. Um, not that much. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, my bottom line is this: sending a kid home is what you do after the fact, and you're going to keep sending him home and removing him from school if you don't solve the problems that are causing the behaviors that are causing us to think that he needs to be removed from school in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's a fairly straightforward level of analysis 
in the you know in the heat of the moment or in the rush of a school day um, sometimes things get a little bit hazier but the reality is sending a kid home from school or removing the kid from the school doesn't solve the problems that are causing the behaviors that are causing us to feel that he needs to be removed in the first place and we're just going to keep removing him unless we identify those problems and solve them right on that note we're going to call it a day. Wasn't it nice? To, I mean, I hate to say this, but it was so nice to be able to listen to you, um, just you today. You and I have had many conversations with each other, just you and I. But um, finally, our listeners get to hear what it sounds like when it's just you. Nothing against our other panelists, but um, <laughs> this was pretty fun. So I'm, I'm glad yeah. things worked out this way, and um, we'll do it again next month. Sound like a plan? Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. You enjoy Thanks for the rest doing of this as month. always. Okay, and next and, time you'll talk uh, about the tulips that are growing. Next time I hope to report on the emerging tulips. <laughs> All right, take, take care. care. Bye bye.